First Samuel chapter 5 to chapter 7 verse 2. 5 verse 1 to 7 verse 2 of First Samuel. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, as we open your word now, we pray that the Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a tender heart to understand and believe and repent and obey. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us in times of illness and virus, times where people panic, that we would have trust and faith and hope in Jesus Christ, the Lord, Jesus, the Saviour of sinners. Jesus, our wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Amen. So my theme, what does the coronavirus teach us about God? So I received a, a WhatsApp, and these are quite popular nowadays with the lockdown and with the coronavirus going around. And in the WhatsApp, in the WhatsApp, the person said, we shouldn't give people the idea that the coronavirus is from God. Is that true? Well, let's see from this passage. So what does the coronavirus teach us about God? Number one, he is the only God. And we learn that from 1 Samuel 5. So the guy who cuts my hair, my barber, he's a Muslim, and he adamantly believes and promotes Allah is the only God. And when I said, well, as Christians, we believe in the triune God, and he said that is the most serious offense, that Allah can, can deal with people who lie and steal, but the most serious thing is that there should be no one put alongside Allah. And he said that the triune God is a false God. And I said that I believe that's the, the truth and the triune God is the true God. So he thinks I'm wrong and I, thinks, I think he's wrong. So who's wrong and who's right? I think this passage will help us deal with that. Let me give you a bit of background. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. And the Philistines won the first battle. And then when the second battle came, the Israelites went to fetch the ark, the ark of the covenant, the wooden box that was overlaid with gold and the mercy seat with the, two, with the cherubim on the lid, uh, heavenly creatures. And so they brought this ark and they gave a mighty war cry. And the Philistines wondered, what's going on? What's going on? The ground is shaking of the noise. And they found out that the ark had come into the Israelite camp. And they were very afraid. They said, these are the gods that defeated the Egyptians and sent plagues on them. Come on, guys, be men and fight for your lives. And they fought and the Philistines won the second battle and they stole the ark. They captured the ark. And so they took the ark from 
Ebenezer in Israel, and they brought it to the Mediterranean coast of Israel, about three miles inland, five, five point something kilometers inland, and they brought it to Ashdod in Philistia, and that we learn from chapter 5, verse 1. And then they brought this ark and put it right inside the temple of Dagon, the Philistine god, the chief deity, the chief god of the Philistines. And the reason they did that is because if my army defeats your army, it means my god is stronger than your god. So they were trying to say that Dagon is stronger than Yahweh, the god of Israel, is Yahweh and Dagon, the Philistine god. And so he's the chief deity, uh, as we see in the book of Judges, chapter 16, verse 23, and he's the god of fertility. So he's the god who's supposed, supposed to give you a good harvest and children and make your cattle have many calves and, and your sheep have many lambs and so on. And some say that he had a, the tail of a fish and the body, the upper body of the torso of a, a human and the face of a human, uh, a man, like, almost like a mermaid, but just in male form. And they take that from the Hebrew word dug, dagon, dug, which means fish. But uh, archaeology has shown that Dagon was really a, a Semitic god. He was the corn god or the wheat god, the god of corn, that really the god of harvest. And he came from Mesopotamia, a modern-day Iraq. And it's really taken from the Hebrew word dagan, dagan which means wheat or corn. And then the, the Ras Shamra tablets also show that Dagon was the father of Baal, according to their mythology. But this, this god Dagon, when it comes to Yahweh, the God of Israel, that's the, the name of God in the Old Testament, this Dagon is nothing. In chapter 5, verse 3, he lies flat on his face. So early in the morning, these Philistines go to worship their God. They're going to the temple, and there lies their God flat on his face before the ark of God, the ark of the God of Israel. And he can't, he can't even help himself. The Philistines have to pick him up and put him upright again, chapter 5, verse 3. And so the next morning, early again, they're out to go and worship their God. They come there as they walk into the temple. There he is, lying on the threshold, arms or hands cut off and his head cut off and he's lying in front of the ark and the picture is to say he's dead your god is dead he's decapitated he's lost his hands he's lost his head and then these superstitious philistine priests after this they never again walk on the threshold because their god died there chapter 5 verse 5 So the hand of the God of Israel is against the people of Ashdod. Suddenly, after he had first judged their God, now he's judging them. And he strikes them with boils, or he strikes them with his tumors. Chapter 5, verse 6. And the people are absolutely petrified. They're terrified, just like with the coronavirus. And they know that the God of Israel is against them, and he's against Dagon, their God, in chapter 5 verse 7 and so these five kings of the philistines of the five capital cities of philistia they gather like the world health organization now with the coronavirus so these philistines also their leaders gather to have a meeting uh, chapter 5 verse 8 and 6 verse 18 tell you there were five of them and so they decide to send back the ark to or they send it to the next city 
of the Israelites called Geth in chapter 5, verse 8. So it's almost as if they think you can send away the God of Israel by sending away a wooden box covered with, covered with gold. <laughs> and they also, perhaps they think, well, if we send away the, the ark, then we'll know, is it God striking us with his tumors or not? Maybe it was just luck. Maybe it's just coincidence. And so as soon as the ark comes to Gath, the same thing happens. You've got these, these tumors breaking out on great and small, uh, 5 verse 9. And there's a massive panic in the city. Massive panic. People are so confused. They don't know which way to go. 5 verse 9. And so then they decide, let's send it to one of our other cities. They, they send it to Ekron in 5 verse 10, another Philistine city. And there the people, same thing. They are screaming out with panic. There's like a, a death panic in the city. Chapter 5 verse 10 says that they cried out as soon as the ark came. And they said, ah, these people, the God of Israel is going to kill us and our people. And God's hand is very heavy upon them. Chapter 5, 11 and 12. And they, they get these tumors and many of them die. And now they have a second meeting. 5 verse 11. So there's a side. Listen, the only thing we can do is send the ark back to Israel where it belongs. And suddenly in 5 verse 12, they call out, they cry out, they, they cry rises to heaven. It went up to heaven, it says. So they know who the true God is. They know it's not Dagon. They know it's the God of Israel. And so eventually what they do is they just give over. They just give up. The Israelites could not defeat them in chapter 4, but the God of Israel did. And in the same way the coronavirus is shaking up many people and waking up many people to know who the true God is. It's as if the God of Israel, the God of heaven, the God of Christianity, it's as if he, he summons and he sues these other gods and he says, come to my court. Come on, present your case. Come, 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 come. Why don't you predict the future for us? Why don't you do something good or do something bad so that everyone can know that you are God's? Come on, give hope to the people. Give hope to the world during the coronavirus. Isaiah 41 verse 21 to 23. Come on. What hope? What hope do other religions give in this time? What hope do the other gods give people in this time? Come on, atheists. Come on. Everything's getting better th through evolution. And science is the solution to everything. You're deafeningly silent. In this time, if you're an atheist, you give no hope to people who are panic-stricken and afraid. What hope do you give them? What hope do you offer? Nothing. What about Hindus? They say when you die, you'll come back as something else, reincarnation. You'll come back as a holy cow. Or, or why, not, why not perhaps return as a holy rat and you can carry the next plague and spread it? Well, Hindus offer no hope to the world. What about the Muslims? Well, bombs and terrorism and, and war, ISIS, and persecuting Christians and killing them. And you just look at pictures of Muslim countries, all destroyed and terror and broken buildings. What hope do they offer the world? What about Judaism? Judaism. They reject Jesus as the Messiah. They're expecting another Messiah. And they put their foreheads against a brick wall in Jerusalem the Wailing Wall and always war in Israel. What hope do you have to offer? What about the Jehovah's Witnesses and other cults? 
What do they tell us? Just work, 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 work. Do your best to get to heaven. But they're not even certain of their own salvation. They're not even, they're not even certain that they will pass the judgment. They don't believe you go to heaven when you die, by the way. But they're not certain that they will live on the new earth. They offer no hope. What about the Catholic Church? What hope is the, is the Pope giving Italy in this crisis? What hope is the Catholic Church giving Italy in this crisis? Oh, just do some good works and you can escape purgatory, the fires of purgatory, and give, give money to the church, and we'll do some good stuff in the hope that we'll make it. What hope does that offer? Nothing. What about animism? Animism, for instance, African religion, African traditional religion. What kind of hope does that give? Let us go to the dead ancestors and ask them to help the living during the coronavirus. That's no hope. What about Buddhism and the New Age movement? What do they tell us? They tell us the answer is in yourself. Find the answer deep down inside. Well, go and tell that to the dying and see if that gives them any hope. What about Christian science and the word of faith movement? Well, the Christian science will tell you, tell you that the coronavirus is just an illusion. It's in your head like any other sickness. It's because you think it's there. Well, what, what hope does that offer? Or the word of faith movement. Just speak. Just speak life like many false churches say today. Speak life and, and you won't have the coronavirus. It'll go away. Well, where are all these, these fake healers, these television evangelists, televangelists telling us to heal and where are they now? Where are they now? They offer no hope. And if you die and if you're sick, they'll just tell you it's because you didn't have enough faith. What about liberalism? So-called liberal Christianity, which is no Christianity at all. They deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, let your dead Jesus help the living. Let your dead Jesus help the dying. What good is a dead Jesus? They offer no hope. What about the idols people make of money and power and might and knowledge or anything else? Do they really think it'll, it'll stop the coronavirus? Proverbs 11 verse 4 says that riches do not profit in the day of wrath, in the day of anger, when God's judgment comes. You can have all the money in the world. You offer no hope. The only hope we have is the triune God of Scripture, the triune God of the Bible. He is the true God. He sent the coronavirus, and He is punishing and judging people who rebel against them, who, who, who rebel against Him and, and lift their puny fists to heaven, mocking God. You see, for instance, in Exodus 9, verse 8 to 11, how God sends a, sends a plague of boils on the Egyptians. Or in our text, 1 Samuel 5, how God sends these tumors against the Philistines. Deuteronomy 28, 27, and 35, God sends boils against the Israelites when they continue sinning against him. 2 Samuel 24, 15, tonight's sermon, uh, we read where, where God sent a plague in Israel, a, a sickness, and he killed 70,000 people. Romans 1, verse 18 in the New Testament tells us that the anger of God is revealed from heaven against all the unrighteousness and the ungodliness of men because they know the truth. They know there's a God in heaven. They know the God of the Bible is the true God and yet they rebel against him and they will not 
bow the knee. And so God sends these things. And then on the other hand, God also offers hope. He offers hope that the other gods and other religions cannot give. How does your God, how does your religion give you hope and peace in the face of the coronavirus and in the face of death? If it doesn't give you peace in the face of disaster and death, then it's not the right God. Then it's not the true religion. Jesus alone offers the hope of salvation, the hope of forgiveness, the hope of a restored relationship with God and peace with God and peace in your heart and a clear conscience and peace when you die and the hope of eternal life and the hope of joy and peace and delight after death. How does he do it? He does it by taking the punishment sinners deserve, by going to the cross and taking upon himself the judgment, the wrath, the anger, the punishment of his Father for our sins. And by being buried and by rising on the third day from the grave, alive and able to give life. So repent of your idolatry, repent of your idols, repent of your false gods, repent of your false religion, repent of your sin, and worship Him as the only God, as the living God, as the true God. Call to Him during this coronavirus, not merely to save you from sickness, but to save you from sin and judgment. And yes, if God does give a cure for the coronavirus, don't give the credit to science. Even though God may use science, give the credit to God, honor God, glorify God, serve God, worship God, the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, the triune God, and live for Him. Second lesson we learn that the coronavirus teaches us about God is He is sovereign. That is chapter 6, verse 1 to 18. Uh, so sovereign means someone who has the highest authority. It's, um, in, in theology, in, in Bible language, we would say to, to say that God is sovereign means that God rules over all, that God is in control of everything that happens. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 19, it speaks of the Lord's throne is in heaven. He has established it in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in the heavens. All that he does, all that he pleases, he does. Psalm 135 verse 6, all that the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven, on earth, in the sea, and in all their deeps. Isaiah 14, 24 and 27, as I thought so it has come to pass, as I have decided, so it has been established. For the Lord of hosts has decided it. Who can turn it back? The Lord has stretched forth his hand. Who can turn him back? Think on the things of old, that I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is no one like me. He is the God who sees the end from the beginning and says, My counsel shall stand. All that I desire, I will do says Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. 
Lamentations 3, 37 and 38, who has spoken there and it has taken place. Unless the Lord has commanded it, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and bad come? And bad there not meaning evil but disaster. Daniel 4 verse 35, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Are two sparrows not sold for a penny? And not one of these will fall to the earth without your father. So the will of God decides even that. Matthew 10, 29. Jesus came, drew near and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Matthew 28, 18. Ephesians 1, 11 speaks of God who does all things according to the counsel of his will. James 4, verse 13 and 15. Come, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city and that city, and we will be there for one year, and we will do business and make a profit. Instead, you should have said, if the Lord wills and we live, we will do this or that. So God is in control even of the detail of our lives, which means he's even sovereign over the coronavirus. Let me show you. So the ark was in captivity. It was in, in, in the land of the Philistines for seven months, 6 verse 1. And so now here's meeting number three. So the leaders of these five Philistine cities, they come together. And now they call the priests and the diviners. So the people who call up the dead and do all kinds of evil stuff. And they say, listen, we need counsel. What should we do with the ark when we send it back to Israel? 6 verse 2. And these answer, in verse 3 and 4 now, they say, well, send a guilt offering. And by, this, by doing this, you'll calm the anger of this God of Israel, and, well, the tumors will go away. And so the leaders say, well, what kind of guilt offering? And they say, right, what you do is you take gold, you melt it, and you, you put it in a, a cast, or maybe with hammered work, you make mice. Five golden mice, Five golden tumors. Why? Well, probably that the tumors spread through mice, uh, like the bubonic plague or the Black Death in, in Europe in the 1300s. So the flea bites the rat, and then the rat dies, and then the flea bites you, and you get the plague, and your glands swell, and uh, in your neck, these tumors come, and they burst, and they black, and pus come out, and under your arms, and in your groin. And people die. And then, and then, furthermore, chapter 6, verse 5, the, the mice also, it says, destroyed the country. This plague of mice. They ravaged the land. So probably the wheat. The wheat harvest was ravaged by the mice. And this is irony, because Dagon is the god of wheat and corn. And he cannot even prevent mice from destroying the land. And these Philistines, they have no choice. They have to give glory to God. Chapter 6, verse 5. They have to acknowledge that Yahweh, it's his hand that has been heavy on the land and on their God. Just like against the Egyptians in, in Exodus 12, 12. And Numbers 33, verse 4. Where it says where God sent the ten plagues against Egypt. Uh, the point is to say, as God sent these plagues, it was, it was a judgment upon their gods. Like, for instance, the ninth plague when it becomes pitch dark. 
That's a judgment on the sun god, Ra. Or when Pharaoh's son dies in the final plague, remember that the Egyptians thought that Pharaoh was a god. And so now his son dies as the successor to the throne. Or, or even when, when Aaron just casts down, throws down Moses' staff and it turns into a snake. And then it swallows the other staffs, the other serpents of the Egyptian magicians. Remember, if you see a picture of Pharaoh and you see his head covering, it's got, a, it's got a, the head of a cobra, probably in bronze or in gold, on this head covering. Because they believed that Pharaoh is a god. And so God judges these other gods the same he does here. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The coronavirus is God's megaphone. Listen, repent of your sin, whether you're a Christian and you've backslidden, repent of your sin. All of us, repent of our sin. Unbelievers, repent of your sin. Just like that 38-year-old doctor in Italy repented. He was an atheist, and because of the virus, he repented of his sin. Do not harden your heart like the Egyptians did, chapter 6, verse 6. The Philistines knew this. They knew that God had defeated the Egyptians. They knew. They said it in chapter 4. We know it from Exodus 15 verse 14. They knew that the God of Israel had crushed the gods of Egypt by the ten plagues. And yet they still do not worship the God of Israel. Because they think their God Dagon is stronger. And so if, if, in, if in spite of the coronavirus we continue in sin, then God will turn on the heat. Then God's judgments will come down stronger. Chapter 6, verse 6. And the Philistines realized this. But now they first wanted to test, is this real? Was this really God who sent these tumors? And so they have a plan. Hey, I've got a plan. Why don't we take a little like a treasure chest and we put these golden mice in there and the golden tumors and we put it right next to the ark, put it on a, a new cart, like kind of an ox cart and, and yeah, we send it back to Israel. Now, the Israelites, when the Israelites put the, the ark on a new cart in Second Samuel, or you can even go to First Chronicles 13 and 15 or Second Samuel 6, God killed Uzzah. He killed one of them. Because they were disobedient and he tried to touch the ark when it like teetered and tottered this, this cart and the ark was going to fall and he put out his hand to stop the ark and God killed him. Because God said you do not carry it on an, an ox cart. You carry it on foot with staves or poles put in the ark. But these Philistines didn't know of better so they put it on a new cart and then they got two milk cows that have never been yoked, meaning they don't know how to pull a cart. And so uh, they think, let's do this. And so they put these milk cows, tie them to the cart, and they take away the calves, and they take them home. And so now they say, right, if these cows pull the cart, because they've never done it before, if they pull the cart, number one, if they go straight to Beth Shemesh, which is a, a town on the border of Philistia and Israel, and they don't turn back for the calves, but they keep straight on the path right to Beth Shemes. Then we know that 
God sent the tumors. If not, it's just coincidence. Chapter 6, verse 9. Well, surprise, surprise, God controls coincidence. There doesn't exist such a thing as coincidence, only providence. Uh, 1 Corinthians 22, verse 43, 34, for instance, a man draws his bow at random and just lets the arrow go, shoots the arrow, uh, just at random, and it strikes the king of Israel because God had prophesied that the king of Israel will die in battle. There is no such thing as luck. Proverbs 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap. It's every decision is from the Lord. So these cows are controlled by God. They go straight to Beth Shemesh. And they, as they go, they are lowing and mooing for their calves probably, but they don't turn back. They continue straight on course, 6 verse 10 to 12. And they reach Beth Shemesh. So Beth Shemesh is a town where the Levites live. It's really the descendants of Aaron, the high priest, um, according to Joshua 21, 16 and 13. And as these lowing cattle come to the town, the people of Beth Shemesh are harvesting corn or wheat. Now again, see the irony. See the irony. These mice, they destroyed the, the country of the Philistines. They ravaged the country and probably ate the grain. But Yahweh, the God of Israel, he's the true God of corn, the God of wheat. And not only of wheat, of the whole universe. He gives wheat to his people or corn. It's not Dagon who's the God of wheat. It's the God of Israel who's the God of everything. And the people of Beth Shemesh, they see this ark after seven months. It had been in captivity, now it's returned. And they rejoice, chapter 6, verse 13. And so the Levites, they know this, cart, this uh, ark shouldn't really be on the ox cart. And they put in this, all the staves are in, they're never taken out. And they take the ark, they lift it off the cart, and they put it on a big rock. It was standing in the field, and it may have been the border between, or just like the, the signpost almost showing, here's the border between Israel and Philistia, and they put it on the, the great rock, the ark, and then also they put this little treasure chest with the golden mice and gold, golden tumors there. And so the, the five golden mice and the five golden tumors, they really they represent the five leaders of the Philistines and the five major cities in Philistia, 6 verse 17 and 18. And then the people of Beth Shemesh, they take the cows and they slaughter them for a sacrifice to the Lord. And also they take the yokes and the ox cart and they use the wood as firewood to offer these cows. And then the five kings of Philistia, these five leaders, they know, all right, God sent the tumors. So they turn back and they return to Ekron 6 verse 16. Listen. For God to control cows where they walk and to send mice and to send a plague, tumors against the Philistines so that many of them die and to send the coronavirus so that a few thousand people die, that's a drop in the bucket. That is a whispering of God's power. Wait until... God destroys the whole world 
with a flood in the days of Noah. Wait until 2 Peter 3. God melts the elements. He melts the planets. He melts the stars. When Jesus Christ returns, wait until God raises billions of dead people from their graves at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Wait until millions of those people suffer eternally under the anger of the eternal God. Then you will see the power of God. Fear this God. Do not fear the coronavirus. Fear the God who controls the coronavirus. And then in the same breath, I want to tell you, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you can be at peace because this God is your Father and you can trust in Him. This God who tells cattle, who tells cows where to walk, this God who sends the coronavirus where it should go, He's your Father. You can trust Him. Number three, third lesson that the coronavirus teaches us about God is he is holy. Chapter 6, verse 19 to 7, verse 2. So let's say he is a very, very, very wealthy lady, extremely rich, and she possesses fine chinaware, porcelain, for her crockery, her plates, and her cups, and her soup bowls with real gold plated, gold plated around the edge, and then solid gold, knives and forks, and dessert spoons and teaspoons. And so this whole set is worth 750,000 rand. And she only uses it once in five years when the king of Norway comes to her house for dinner. So it's really almost like she, she takes that crockery and cutlery and it's separated for, for special use. So in theological terms, we would say it's holy. Holy meaning set apart, separated for special use. And the same with the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. It was separated it was holy, it was sacred, it's, it's uh, almost a representation of the throne of God. And so when these people of Beth Shemesh come and they want to look into the ark, chapter 6 verse 19, God kills 70 of them, and then the Old Afrikaans translation says 70 and 50,000. So whatever figure's correct doesn't matter much. The point is God killed people for looking into the ark because he said in Numbers chapter 4 verse 20, you never look into the ark. You look into the ark, you die. It's the throne of God. It is sacred. It is holy. And so the people of Beth Shemesh wept and they mourned when God killed the people. And they fear God. And they realize God is holy, as they say in 6 verse 19 and 20. So now they're doing what the Philistines did. The Philistines sent the ark away because they don't want more people to die. And now the people of Beth Shemesh say, send the ark away. We don't want more to die. And they send it to the nearest town in the vicinity called Kiriath Jerem, 621. Now it used to be the place of Baal worship. 
according to Joshua 15, verse 9 and verse 60. But now the ark comes there. Now the true God must be worshipped. And so they put it into the, the house of Abinadab or Abinadab, and his son Eleazar is sanctified. He's set apart to say, you have to protect the ark. And probably so no one comes to look on the ark or look into the ark and, and more people die. Chapter 7, verse 1. But it takes 20 years for the people in Kiriath-Jerim and the rest of Israel before they lament and they long and they desire God. And then in 7, verse 3, Samuel then tells them, all right, if you want to serve God, put away your idols. Repent. Twenty years. How long will South Africa keep on? How long will South Africa go on before the coronavirus makes us realize God is holy? God hates sin. God is not mocked. When will the church... The church in South Africa that has become like the world and accepted all kinds of sin, like transgenderism and homosexuality and so on, when will the church realize God is holy? When will you and I realize God is holy? Be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. And unfortunately the coronavirus will not shake us up and will not wake us up. Not even hell will wake people up to repent and turn to God. We need the cross. The cross and pray that the Holy Spirit of God will open our eyes to show us how holy God is and how much He hates sin. So much so that when the Son of God took our sin upon Him willingly and subjected Him Self to the Father's righteous anger over sin. The Father crushed him. Isaiah 53 verse 10. And Jesus called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know the answer. Because God is holy. He hates sin. And even if his own son should take that sin upon himself, he will fall under the curse of God. For our sin. If that does not melt your heart, if that does not drive you to your knees before the living God, nothing will. So I plead with you, I beg you, I exhort you as the Apostle Paul did, repent of your sin and be reconciled to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Oh yes, this kind of preaching may get people all worked up and angry. But oh, would you, through your Spirit, soften their hearts to bow the knee 
before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, and bow in worship and adoration and repentance and faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.